Hey, you're listening to the GGC Life Podcast. Weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. Awesome. I just want to give you permission in the house, in this room, and I want to give you permission at home to yell a little bit, to express a little bit. Because um, I just feel like if, if I, I, I don't know, I just think let's, let's just make sure it's been said. Make sure you know that you can, you can uh, express your faith, you can shout, you can declare um, in this season and during this preach as well. Let me just say something. This year, this year was prophesied to be the year of harvest, a season of harvest. Let me ask you a question. Do you still believe that 2020 has been set aside in God's books as a year of harvest? I said, do you believe it? For the people in this room, let's make sure the people at home know that we believe it. Do you believe it? Awesome, because God still believes it, and uh, He wants to stir, what's on my heart this morning is to stir faith and to rekindle and revive faith in our hearts this morning, and uh, and I feel like this word is a word in season, and He's going to use it to transform hearts, to activate hearts, to to set us on fire again, and uh, rekindle a passion that maybe has, you might have felt has passed away, Uh, but we'll talk about that in just a moment. At the end of last year, I think it was the end of last year, I had the privilege of traveling to a beautiful country named New Zealand with two very, with, with uh, that as well. That was early this year. That was amazing. We went with Sarah. Late last year, um, I got to travel with Sam and Tomo to New Zealand to celebrate Grace and Stan's wedding. And it was amazing and um, such a beautiful country. We absolutely loved it. And while we were there, we thought we'd take a little bit of time for ourselves as well. And so there are these, there's so many cool things to see in New Zealand. If you've never been, I highly recommend it. And um, actually, can we grab the timer on the screen just so I can keep an eye on my time? So we, there's so many cool things to do. There's mountains to see, there's caves to explore. We checked out some glowworms and stuff like that. It was amazing. But um, something that we got to do, which I really enjoyed, was we went to these geothermal um, beaches where you could dig a pool in the sand and it would be like a heated pool in the sand. It was amazing. It's like, what? You got like really like warm beaches and warm water. That's amazing. So apparently what it is, is there's like, I think there's like geysers or like hot springs traveling underneath the ground and volcanoes and stuff um, that are warming the water in that area. So you can dig a pool and you can sit in it and people like make these massive pools and they just sit in it all day. It's amazing. However, When we rocked up, we've been dreaming about this for like weeks and months leading up to it. I was so keen for this. Anyway, the day came along and it was time to dig our pools and we wake up in the morning and it's raining. It's raining and and I'm looking outside thinking, man, this is going to be cold. We hadn't had much sleep the day before because we'd been driving from like really early in the morning and we were up from really early in the morning because of the, um, the plane ride. Anyway, and so we're pretty tired, but we just, we made it happen. We had to get it done. And so... We get there and it's raining and we just had to be, we, we knew that we had to be as quick as possible digging these pools. So we got to action, we bought these, we had to hire some shovels, we get down to the beach and we start digging. And as we're digging, like I think Vanessa, Sam and Tomo did most of the work because all in my phone I've only got photos of me taking photos. So I don't think I was helping that much. But um, they were doing really well. But I just remember the whole time, like, eyes on the prize, eyes on the prize, because it is freezing right now. And you, 
at any point, you can just be like, okay, I'm going to give up. You're looking at everyone else on the beach, and then there's these, like, people have made, like, whole families come to the beach, and they make these massive pools, and they're just heated, and there's steam. The other thing is you've got to choose the right place. So there's different spots on the beach that are warmer than others. And so we're digging, and we're just hoping that we've, we've chosen the right spot. Anyway, we're digging it. Like, it ends up being pretty cool. We all kind of, like, we're, like, lying down in the water to make sure we can get our whole bodies covered because it's pretty shallow. It was, like, that shallow. Um, But we made it through. But you know what? As we were digging, it was easy to get, um, I guess, distracted and disheartened by the cold weather and the rain. And it could slow. It was, it was, it slowed me down. I'm going to be real. It slowed me down, right? And sometimes we allow the weather and the seasons to slow us down. Um, I was thinking along this this um, memory a couple of days ago, and then I was just thinking about how crazy it is that there are people in this world that go and climb Mount Everest. There are people that choose, and they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to set themselves up with the adequate training and the equipment to go and climb Mount Everest. There's there's a point in Mount Everest, right, where I think it's above eight kilometers. I got the stats here. Above 8,000 meters, so that's eight kilometers, if I'm right. Um, Eight kilometers, they call it, scientists call it the death zone. Why do they call it the death zone? Because for every second you're above this eight kilometer peak, you're dying. Your body is gradually dying. Apparently, um, the January temperatures can drop as low as minus 60 degrees on Mount Everest. So for every second you're above this altitude, your, your body is literally dying. So movement is important. It's imperative to keep walking. In fact, they say most, most deaths that happen on Mount Everest now are due to people waiting in line to get through the, the trek. And so we got to keep moving if we're climbing Mount Everest. And then I felt God prophesying to me through this thought, and, and I find myself in that thought, and I felt God prophesying that He is saying to the church in this season that He is calling us to action. He is calling us to move. And He wants us to set people free from a frost-bitten faith. And I feel like in this season, many people in the church, many people of faith have allowed their faith to fall captive to frostbite. Lack of movement, insane altitudes and and seasons that we didn't expect, and lack of movement partnered together, we start to develop a frostbitten faith. And I feel like God has prophesied over you this year that it would be a year of harvest, right? This would be a season of harvest. He prophesied over this church. He's prophesied over the nations. You know how many churches this year have picked that up and started prophesying that this is the harvest year, that God is saying that over this year, it's the harvest. Now we can look at it and be like, okay, all the senior pastors got it wrong this year. You know, how about Vision Sunday this year? Now we, you know, we had floods, we had fires, we had all sorts of things happen this year. It's been a wreck of a year. Everyone must have got it wrong. I beg to differ. And I think that maybe, just maybe, they got it right. And when, when the night is at its darkest, the light shines its brightest. And this is the season, if there was ever a season, this is the season to harvest. 
where people are filled with hopelessness and, and anxiety and depression and brokenness and fear, when the world is in turmoil, when people, there's political um, ideologies running all over the place and now everyone's at home on Facebook and YouTube and everyone's got a different opinion now. What sort of a world are we living in? It's a world of disunity right now. And in, if there was ever a time to contend for unity, this is the season. If there was ever a time to contend for peace, to shine a light, Jesus called us to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And he says, the light of the world is a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You don't light a lamp and put it under your bed or put it under a basket. You put it up high for everyone to see so it can shine light in the darkness when we need it. Amen? But I believe some of us have allowed our faith to catch frostbite. And honestly, I've been in that place over this last season. Like, let's get real. I, I, I mean, I was enjoying it at the beginning, but I, and I, I would declare to everyone that I'm an introvert, you know, like I'm, I love my alone time. I love people, but like I love my alone time. It's where I recharge. And, um, but either I'm, I've found out that actually I'm not an introvert <laughs> or I've learned more about introverts. I don't know. Or maybe there's no, you can't just, there's no duality of, of man. There's a whole scale. There's a spectrum. But I, I got, I, I can be honest and say there were, there were dark days in the last couple of weeks that shouldn't have been there. There should, I should be the one that in the season when it's dark, people can look to me for light. But the reality is, there were, there were times where I was shaken. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't have my friends encouraging me. I don't have people to spur me on, you know. I'm not seeing as many people. What's, what's the motivation right now? And, and then things surface. It's like, okay, am I doing this for other people? Am I doing this to be seen? Is my life a platform life? Or has God called me to be the one behind closed doors, behind the scenes, pressing into Him and, and ministering to Him in that way? Anyway, I, I, I just believe that in this season that God wants to deliver us of frostbitten faith. And in James 2, James talks about, the writer of James talks about this frostbitten faith and he calls it dead faith. Everybody say dead faith. He calls it dead faith. This frost-bitten faith is spoken of as dead faith. And I believe in this season, it's a season for resurrection. People call this sort of stuff revival. And that if, if you look at where we're at, if you've allowed your faith to be frostbitten, it's going to take, or dead, it's going to take a revival, an awakening, a shaking to wake us up into what he's calling us to, awakening to action. If you've allowed dreams to die in this last season, it's time to wake up again. Let me, okay, let me, let me put that a little bit differently. Maybe you haven't allowed dreams to die. Maybe they're in there. You know your dreams. You know the prophetic words that have been spoken over you. You know what God has called you to be. You know what God has given you and gifted you with. But you've stopped moving because you've lost passion and hope. You've become demotivated. That's, that's what James describes as dead faith. Dead faith is a faith without action. And God has called us to action our faith. So we're going to start today in James chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 14. So if you've got your Bibles, please open them up to James chapter 2, verse 14. And we're going to see what James has to say about frost-bitten faith. Okay, James chapter 2, verse 14. 
You can join me when you arrive there. It says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have, he uses the word works. The same word can be found, uh, uh, translated as action. What good is it, my brothers, if someone has faith but does not have works or action? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, hey, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, by faith by itself, if it does not have action, it's dead. I continue down to verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from action is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by action when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? It wasn't the sacrifice that saved him. It wasn't the method of sacrifice. It was the fact that he put action to his faith, that he trusted that God would create a nation through him, that God would give him children. No matter what, no matter what obedience looked like to God, he decided I was going to, I was going to put action to my faith, and he was willing to put his son on the altar. And it continues down. You see, that faith was active along with his action, and faith was completed by his action. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, that person is justified by works or action and not by faith alone. Verse 26 says this, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, everybody say dead, so also faith apart from works or action is dead. Now most of us were quick, if, if you had any sniffles over the last three months, I'm sure most of you were quick to go get your uh, diagnosis, get tested to see if you had any COVID. I, I, we went... I think once, Vanessa and I went once each, and um, we were fine. We got quarantined to, to make sure we um, maintain safety protocols, but we were fine. We were good, but we went straight away, right, because we want this season to be over. If we don't abide by this stuff, it's just going to keep prolonging, and so uh, we went straight away, and we were quick to respond. When we saw a symptom of flu or anything like that, we responded quickly. May I suggest to you to go to Jesus for a faith status check when you start noticing symptoms and red flags indicating a frost-bitten faith, a dead faith. It's time to bring it to Him. Don't pull it aside. Don't, don't, just, don't just quarantine yourself. Do something about it. Go to the great physician. Your faith can either be dead or alive. Faith without actions is dead. And what good is dead faith? Faith that is dead is a frost-bitten, fruitless faith that has halted in its tracks. What am I talking about? Maybe you've got yourself in a place where you believe God has called you to be healthy, but you don't manage a healthy lifestyle anymore. Maybe you're believing to see the city saved and you're praying to see the city saved, but you don't tell anyone about Jesus. Maybe you believe in miracles, but you don't contend for them. Maybe believe God wants to prosper your business, but you no longer submit your plans to Him. Maybe believe the healthy church, sorry, maybe you believe that the church is a healthy place to be planted, but you're not committed to being planted when the going gets tough. 
God is stirring us to do something about the things we believe and the faith that we have, the promises that He's given us. He's calling us to contend. And Jesus was practical, right? We pray things like, Lord, bless this city, but He is calling us to bless the city. Right? Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. If someone steals your cloak, give them another. Love your neighbor. Look after the widow and the orphan. What are these things? These are practical ways to advance the kingdom of God. Right? Praying is important. In fact, it's necessary and it's essential. But it's important not because it changes the heart of God, but because it opens our eyes to the heart of God. And we begin to walk out the answer to our own prayers by the power of His Spirit. So it's, it's crucial that we check our faith status. So today is a call to leave behind. Everybody say, leave behind. If, if your neighbor is a family member, turn to your neighbor and say, leave behind. If you don't have a family member next to you, just shout it at me. Say, leave behind. We are, this, this, I feel like today God is saying, leave behind your frostbitten faith for faith that will flourish in this season. Leave behind your dead faith and enter into a season of living and actioned faith. Let this be a call to an awakening today. If you've, if you've used the last season, God used the last season, um, and I believe He called the church to rest. We should stay in a place of rest. We should never leave a place of rest. But let me tell you something. Rest doesn't equal a lack of action. Rest equals peace knowing that God's got it. Rest equals assurance. Rest equals um, vision. Rest equals joy when it doesn't seem possible to have joy. That's what rest is when you surrender to Him and you know He's got it. So what's it going to take to action our faith? I want to give you some things that we see Jesus talking about. Um, We find it in Luke chapter 10. Uh, What's it going to take to action our faith? We're going to read the story of the Good Samaritan. So please follow along in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation this morning. No offense to any biblical scholars out there. You can do your own study in your own time. Luke chapter 10, verse 30 to 35. Okay. There was once a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho when bandits robbed, <laughs> robbed, <laughs> when bandits robbed him along the way. Sorry. Um, they beat him severely. Stripped him naked and left him half dead. Soon a Jewish priest walking down the same road came upon the wounded man. Seeing him from a distance, the priest crossed. Everybody say crossed. The priest crossed to the other side of the road and walked right past him, not turning to help him one bit. Later, a religious man, a Levite, came walking down the same road and likewise he crossed. Everybody say he crossed. He crossed to the other side to pass by the wounded man without stopping to help him. Finally, another man, a Samaritan, came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. He stooped down and gave him first aid. He poured olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting them with wine and bandaging them to stop the bleeding. Lifting him up, he placed him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn. And then he took him from his donkey and carried him to a room for the night. The next morning, he took his own money from his wallet and he gave it to the innkeeper with these words. Take care of him until I come back from my journey. If it costs more than this, I will repay you 
when I return. Now, this is a radical, radical story of actioned living faith that Jesus told to the people in that time. The question is, what can we learn from the Good Samaritan in this story? First thing I think we can learn is that we've got to get real. So often, we look at the season and we close our eyes. We look at the season and we choose ignorance. And maybe we call it faith, but we choose ignorance. People say ignorance is bliss. God is calling us to get real. And people say ignorance is bliss, but ignorance is really just delayed consequence. You're going to have to deal with the issue eventually. Vanessa and I recently moved into Winston Hills, uh, to a new flat, and and it's a beautiful, nice uh, place. We've got an extra bedroom now. And so we moved in, and for anyone that's moved recently, you'll feel me when I say that unpacking takes a little bit of time. Okay, packing takes time, but unpacking takes a little bit of time. I think maybe it's just because of the laziness. You leave the boxes over there until you're going to use them. And um, soon enough, that extra room becomes that spare room. That may, maybe you have one in your house right now. The spare room where you chuck all the, the boxes and the mess and the storage. That spare room. Maybe, maybe you've got like that spare drawer. I don't know, maybe some of you guys in your homes, you got, you got that drawer, you pull it out. If anyone pulled it open, they'd be like, what the heck is this drawer even supposed to be? It's just a compilation of all things. If you need a pen, hey, check that drawer. If you need a spatula, hey, check that drawer. If you need some paper, check that drawer. If you're looking for the iPad, check that drawer. And, um, but that's the thing, right? Um, we're not really dealing with that situation. Vanessa and I weren't dealing with that situation. And eventually something's going to have to get done, right? Or we're missing out on using that spare room. And that room stayed like that for about a week, I think. And then I think we were having too many people over, which motivated. Well, Vanessa did the cleaning. She was amazing. One day I came home and it was just all done. And, and, but the thing is, ignoring it won't fix it, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, ignoring it won't fix it. Ignoring it won't fix it. God is calling us to get real. Have you become content with where you're at and no longer actioning your faith? Ignorance will produce a frost-bitten faith. The Pharisee and the Levite were people that knew God yet didn't do anything about the God that they knew when they saw this bleeding, dying man on the side of the road. Yet it took a man who, who the Jews and the Israelites had, had cast out as, you know, they, he had wrong theology and doctrine. That the, the, There was debate between the Samaritans and the Israelites about where to worship and all sorts of other practices. But it took a man, a Samaritan, we, we read in verse 33, a Samaritan came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. He didn't cross the road. He didn't close his eyes and ignore it. He was moved by his compassion. He was moved by his faith. He was moved by what God was doing within him. And I want to remind us, guys, be moved by the faith that God has given you. Move to action. Get real with where you're at. Get real with the situation. It might look messy. It might, it might feel like it's going to take too much of your effort and your time and your energy and your resource. But don't pass it by. Ignoring it won't fix it. Some people say that living a life of faith is choosing to walk blind just with some trust. Um, I asked Carl to bring me his um, sleeping mask. This is Carl's sleeping mask. It's not mine. It says, do not disturb, right? 
Does it say do not disturb? No, what does it say? Oh, okay. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You don't need to see what it says. Okay, so this is the thing, right? Oh, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm going to fall off the stage. What we do is we label faith as this blind trust, right? And when we, when we live a life of blind trust, I mean, I'm walking around right now and I'm filled with fear. I have no idea what's coming up next, right? I'm blind and I'm not sure what's, what I'm going to step into. There's a keyboard somewhere around here. I've got some memory. What, I, what am I doing right now? I'm actually using my, um, the analytical side of my brain. There it is to find where things are, memory and my human resource to try and figure out what's next, right? So this blind trust isn't actually helping me. I'm going to stumble around. I'm going to bump into things. I'm going to be very slow. I'm slowing right down. And, um, and that's simply not what faith is. It's not bl- being blindfolded and having trust. Faith does not equal blindness. In fact, faith should give you a whole new perspective, a heavenly perspective to see something you could not see, right? This, let, let, me, let me tell you something, right? When 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith and not by sight, and when Hebrews 11, 1 says faith is being certain of what we do not see, it is not painting a picture of blind faith. It is saying that in our human ability... We cannot see, but with faith, we see with a heavenly perspective, better than we ever could have seen in our human perspective. It's not blindness. It's actually waking up to these new spiritual eyes that God has given us. It's actually a whole new level of, we're not, we're not just talking 2020 vision, we're talking God vision into the future, into the past, everywhere, all things, how it impacts everyone. God's up there, he's seated on the throne, and he says, hey, I've invited you to seat with me, Christ, in heavenly places far above it all. So it may not be normal for you to notice the hurting man on the side of the road, but Holy Spirit will make you aware to him. In the same way, God is waking you up and opening your eyes to see again what He is stirring you to believe for and go for in 2020. What have you become ignorant to? What have you closed your eyes to? What, at, at the beginning of the year, we wrote little cards of things that we were believing for this year. There's a wall out there called our Harvest Wall. Go have a look at it. There are people that are believing for family members to be saved. There are people that are wanting to start businesses. There are people that have dreams that they want to see fulfilled. Some people are believing to be married. Have you allowed the season to frostbite your faith and freeze you from action? God is calling us to action. Get real with where you're at and do something about it. And I think that's where we, that's where we, we, we come to the next thing that we find the Good Samaritans do. Um, we see him give what he has. And I feel like God is saying to us, get real and give what you got. Give what you got. We partner in with God. So what are you doing about what you want to see happen? What are you doing about what you want to see happen? When we get stingy, we frostbite our faith. But generous faith entices the floodgates of heavens to partnership. God will pour out his faithfulness when we partner with him. Verse 34 of Luke 10 says, He stooped down, this is the Good Samaritan, he stooped down and he gave him first aid, pouring olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting them with wine. This is, this is his own resource. 
and bandaging them to stop the bleeding. Lifting him up, he placed him on his own donkey. He lifts him up. He takes on that burden and he chooses to do something about the situation. He places him on the donkey and he takes him with his donkey, carries him to an inn for the night. The man spent his own resources. He brought his own offering. He spent his resources on the hurting man, used his own donkey to carry him to safety. He used whatever he was able to, give what you got. He, he used whatever he was able to, and he brought his offering. Right through Scripture, we see Abraham bring Isaac. We see Moses bring his staff. We see Elijah bring his 300 men. We see David bring five smooth stones. We see that young boy bring five loaves and two fish. What seemingly insignificant offering do you have today that you can bring to the table? God can work with people who take responsibility to bring what they have. I was uh, a couple years ago, actually, when Vanessa and I first got married, two months after we got married, we were invited to go to South Africa to do some ministry in a church much bigger than ours with a whole lot of influence. And I was feeling super intimidated. Vanessa was feeling intimidated. We're like, is this, like, how are we going to do this? Like, do they even know us? Are they sure that they want to get us in? All right. So I was feeling underqualified. I was feeling, I felt like it was a bit unaffordable as well. We're traveling right across the world, halfway across the world after just having gone, gotten married. And we're thinking, should we even go? Is it even worth it? But we brought what we had, right? We brought, we, I mean, we felt a little bit not sure, but we brought what we had, okay? And we went. And so we, we go to South Africa, and, and, and when God prompted me, well, I was preaching, and there was a time when God prompted me to do an altar call. And he says, call for the sick and the hurting, anyone with any diseases, call, to, call for them, and let's see, let's see my spirit do something in this place. And I did that. I was scared, man. I was so scared. And I called them to the front. And I remember praying. The first person, it, at first this person was not getting healed. And I'm thinking, I've just stuffed up the whole conference. And, um, and I'm praying for them. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this girl starts bawling because she gets healed from these shin splints that she's had. And, um, and she's bawling, and then everyone else starts running to the front thinking, oh, God's doing something. I went in. And so we start praying for everyone, and all these people are getting healed, broken ankles, eyesight, recovery of, of sight. Um, what else? I think there was someone with a dislocating knee. There was all sorts of issues that, were, that people came with, and God was healing them. And yet I was going to hold back the hand of God because I didn't want to bring what I had. When we are stingy, we frostbite our faith and we delay God's hand. But God can work with a heart that is filled with generous and willing faith. What are you doing about what you want to see happen this year? What are you doing about what you want to see happen this year? Luke 6 verse 38 says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. What does that mean? If you've got a bucket, you press it down and you can fit a little bit more stuff in there. Um, For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now we use this scripture often in reference to money, but the verses preceding that, Jesus is saying, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. He was teaching on the principle of sowing and reaping. What are you sowing in faith in this season? What are you bringing to God? Are you going all in on this thing that God has called you to? Or are you reserving your resources? God is calling you to pour it out. 
pour it out in this season. If you want God to work big in your life, be willing to give big. It's a season to recommit your all to Him. Create a list if you have to. Your time, your energy, your money, your mind, your gifts, your resources, your business, your employees. What can you give to Him in this season? What does living faith look like in this season? It's time to get practical and do what you're able to do in this season. And lastly, what can we find in this story of the Good Samaritan? We see Him really go the distance. So God is calling us to get real, give what we've got, but go the distance. Go the distance. Um, who here likes fiddle leaf plants? If you know what a fiddle leaf plant is, raise your hand. I've got a couple fiddle leaf lovers in the house. A little while ago, Vanessa loves the fiddle leaves, and, um, and she bought one home a little while ago, and it just started dying, falling apart. I think we've got a ministry to kill plants. We're on a wanted list for serial plant killers. And um, anyway, we kind of like, we were trying to help this thing. We got like all sorts of like, antifungal sprays, and we're trying to keep it alive, treating it like a little baby. And, and, but these massive, beautiful leaves just kept dropping. And we're thinking, oh, seriously, I think there's a lot of people that go through this same fiddle leaf um, anxiety. But, um, but the leaves just kept dropping, and we're freaking out. We're thinking, man, what am I supposed to do with this thing? And so we ended up just giving, it, like, giving up on it, and we gave it to Vanessa's mom, because Vanessa's mom is amazing with plants. She's got a whole incredible garden um, behind her backyard, and I mean behind a house. Anyway, we gave it to her. We kind of gave up on it. We bought a new fiddle leaf. The new fiddle leaf is amazing. It's a, it's, it's a gift from God. Like we pray over it, and we speak life, and um, so it's good. It, it hasn't died, but here's the thing, right? We were going to chuck it out. We chose to give it to Vanessa's mom, but once giving it to Vanessa's mom, ta-da, it's fixed. Somehow, <laughs> it's the mom's touch, so anyone struggling with a fiddle leaf, give it to your mom, but um, it's all of a sudden, it's fixed, and I was ready to give up on it, we were ready to chuck it out. It's actually the same with a lot of plants. If you're into like horticulture, pretty sure it's like chilies, they go to seed after a while. So it looks like they're dead, but they're actually going to come through in a new season, going to bear more fruit again. Um, basil plants, I think a bunch of veggies actually do the same thing. When it looks like, and can I tell you something? God speaks to us through patterns found in nature because he is the architect of this world. In the same way, when we look at things in the natural, it can seem as if time is up, the game is over, and I'm going to give up. Maybe in this last season, you felt like giving up. Maybe it felt like a season, your faith was frostbitten, and you're ready to amputate that arm. You're ready to amputate that dream. And maybe you were ready to give up. And it looks like it's all dead, and, and you could be tempted to throw it out, but hold up. God is doing something. Keep working with what you got, I want to tell you this morning. Keep working with what God has given you. Galatians 6, 9 says this, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, everybody say due season. Don't grow weary, because in due season, we will reap. Here's the, here's the crux. If we do not give up. If we do not give up, we frostbite our faith when we tap out early. 
And we see the good Samaritan in, in verse 33. We see that the next morning after, after the man has had some rest, this man, the, the Samaritan's ready to go on his way. And he says to the innkeeper, he takes out his own money from his own wallet. He gives it to him and he says, take care of him until I come back from my journey. And if it costs more than this, I will repay you when I return. That's an attitude. That's an attitude that's willing to go the extra mile. That's willing to go the distance. In this season, are you willing to go the distance? Don't get caught tapping out early. God is calling us to sustain faith in this season. Keep moving. Don't halt your faith. Don't find yourself with a frostbitten faith. God is calling us to have faith that flourishes again in this season. Look, this isn't this isn't a message of condemnation. Be real with where you're at. You've got to get real. If you feel like your faith has been frostbitten over this last season, this is by no means a message to condemn you and to bring about surface guilt in your life. This is a message to wake us up. This, this is what the loving Father does. He doesn't kick us down when, when we're down. What sort of a, the father, we see in the, product, the story of the prodigal son, there's a father waiting on a son that spent his entire inheritance. He's waiting and his eyes are fixed on the horizon because it says that once he saw him still a long way off, the son that sold off everything, that betrayed him, that essentially spat in his face. You know what that prodigal son said to the father? He was as if, it was as if the son was saying to the father, you're as good as dead to me. I want my inheritance now. Right? That's the sort of relationship that was there. But the father was waiting there. And he sees him still a long way off on the horizon. And the moment he sees him, the father, he's not expecting effort to come from the son. He's not saying, okay, son, I'm going to wait for you to get all the way here. You march, your, you march yourself right here. And we're going to talk. The father, like almost undignified, he runs to the son, the son who betrayed him, who lost faith in him. And maybe that's where you feel you are in this season. Maybe you feel like your faith has been frostbitten and you've lost your faith or your faith has died. Maybe you still got that faith. You believe in certain things, but it's just dead because you're not acting it anymore. God is calling us to never stop believing that this is the season to awaken our faith again. For some of us, we're on a track towards the harvest, but we've eased up on the gas. This is not the time to lift your foot off the pedal. It's not the time to jump on the bench. This is not the time to call half time. It's time to run. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24 says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely, and let us run. Everybody say run. Shout it out. Run. Let us run with endurance to the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. God is calling us to fix our eyes on Christ and move again. He's calling us to awaken our faith in this season, to let go of frostbitten faith, to let, let go of the, the doubts and insecurities securities and wake up with action. This thing is a race. It's not just a breezy stroll. It's not even a relay. We are on a mission to be all Jesus has called us to be. Do not grow weary. Keep running. 
I'm going to finish with this illustration. Balloon. Sometimes I, 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 was just, I, just, I just ask God, God, make it real simple. Make it real simple for us. Balloon. Sometimes we stop short and we capture our effort and we, we admire our effort. And we're like, well, we gave, we gave some faith. You know, we actioned our faith a little bit. Me testing my um, fitness levels. Okay. And so we capture it. We prayed for someone. We believed for a season, right? And we kind of admire it. But our past effort isn't enough for our future breakthrough. We are called daily to get real. There's still more to go. I don't know if you know what I'm about to do. There's still more to go. Give what we got. And go the distance. Every day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. In COVID season, out of COVID season. When your friends are there for you, when they're not there for you. When you're unable to register in time to come to church. I'm talking to everybody at home. Until we see the breakthrough. God is calling us to contend for the breakthrough again in this season. If you've fallen asleep, hey, that's okay. The Father is there and He's running to you to remind you with this word this morning. Wake up, church. There is still so much left to do. He hasn't come back yet. The work is not finished. There are people that need to know Him. There are businesses and dreams that need to be birthed in this season. There are, there are children that need to be birthed in this season. There are marriages that need to be that need to come into life in this season, ladies and gentlemen. What have we learned from Jesus in the story of the Good Samaritan? If you want to ditch your frostbitten faith for a faith that flourishes, number one, get real. Number two, give what you got. And lastly, get, go and go the distance. Go the distance. I've, I butched that last one. <laughs> That's all right. Because we give what we got, amen. Frostbitten faith is useless. I guess I just want to finish with this, actually. This is the one last warning that I want to give everyone. The Pharisee and the Levite in this story, they were religious teachers. They, they, had, they actually belonged to a people, the Israelites, that had a covenant with God for thousands of years, and yet they passed by a man in need. Don't take your membership in a church or your relationship with God as a guarantee that you're going to see Him move through you. James talks about the fact that we can have dead faith. How, what a shame would it be to call ourselves Christians, Christ followers, lovers of God, and not represent Him. And God had to use someone else that maybe had a flawed doctrine, but whoever's willing and whoever is yielded, God will use. And so this is the challenge. This is the challenge. Wake up to what God wants to do in this season. Do something about it and take action. Let's get fed up with frostbitten faith. Amen. listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com.
from our house to yours, be blessed.